leaders in all sorts of areas of the country. And it has been my belief for a very long time that this is the safest place we find ourselves. And wherever I find myself, it's always nice to know that the commonality and the bond that's in Jesus' blood binds us together as family. And so it has been my practice everywhere I've gone to start each time with good morning, family. It is an honor to be with you today. You may or may not recognize me, that's okay. I think I'm twice the size I was when I was here. All of you that do recognize me have come up and said, wow, you, I remember you when you were as tall as your wife. <laughs> it is a blessing to be here. I said it in Bible class this morning, and I will also reiterate that as well. I have been accused of having what many would call resting mad face. I think it's the forehead. It's large, I get it. That's why I don't have to wear sunglasses all the time. I provide my own shade for my eyes. But understand that I'm passionate about what I'm going to be talking about, and that may at times look like I'm mad. I'm not. I'm not. So just rest at ease with that. I forgot the clicker. It's like, why isn't the PowerPoint up? John, do your job. There we go. Nope. There we go. I got it. Thank you. I'm good now, John. Appreciate it. September 8th. 1974, a man by the name of Evil Knievel, some of you might recognize that name, some of our younger crowd might not, but a man named Evil Knievel attempted to jump the mile-wide section at Snake River Canyon in Idaho, and this is the machine that he was doing it. It's not quite what we would think of as a motorcycle. It had some jet engines and the whole jet look of things, but it did have two wheels. So he had planned to jump Snake River Canyon in Idaho September 8, 1974. Now, unfortunately, his parachute deployed as he was taking off, and he landed just below the ramp. So if you'll notice on the picture, here is the launch point. Here's where he planned to land. This is where he crashed. Okay? So he goes up and circles back. Didn't make it very far, but that's okay. Now, Knievel once said, anybody can jump a motorcycle. The trouble begins when you try to land it. <laughs> now, Knievel suffered more than 433 fractures in his entire lifetime. And with each stunt and failure, he gains more fans and more following, and people begin to come along and watch the things that he's doing. And if I'm being honest with you, since I know people, the reason people are, he's gaining such a following is because they're more than likely coming to see if he's going to crash rather than succeed. And you know how I, I know that? How many of you guys have gone to YouTube and watched fail videos? Okay. And how many of us sit there going, <laughs> yeah, all the kids, you better raise your hands, boys. I sat behind you this morning. There's something fascinating about watching large-scale failure, and I, I think that's why Knievel had such a great following. But check it out. He did 82 jumps or stunts in his lifetime, okay? 22% failure rate. 78% of the time he succeeded. That's pretty good, right? Would you say that Knievel could count himself as a successful stuntman with 78%? 
Kids, how many of us really would just like to have 78% in our grades at school and call it good? We would think of that as a success, wouldn't we? 78%, that's pretty good. But if you were to ask him, if you had him here right now and you were going to ask him the question, say, Knievel, how many of those jumps and stunts that you were doing did you really think you were going to succeed at? Do you, you know what I think he would say? I think he'd say 100%. I think he'd plan to make every one of those landings. That he, he had his mind set to be successful. Listen, let's go back to the picture. If you don't believe you're going to succeed, are you going to make that jump? No, there's no way. That's just, come on now. That, if you're thinking that you go into it thinking you're going to fail, that kind of logic defies sanity. You're just not going to get into that type of thing. But when we look at Knievel, the life he led, the stunts that he did, did expectation, do you think expectation met reality for him? Now, most of us understand that expectation doesn't always meet reality. That's why we have this word called disappointment. We know that what we, might ex what we expect to happen isn't necessarily a guarantee. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen and because reality has a very real way of just coming in and getting in the way of expectation. And that's what I'd like for us to be talking about this morning. We've been, we understand what disappointment is and we understand that expectation does not meet reality but let's ask that, the question and be honest with ourselves on this, okay? How do we, me, you, individuals, stack up in how we approach life on this whole expectation versus reality thing? Luke 13 is a great example of this. Let's look at this real quick. Luke 13, turn over in your Bibles. Luke 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 together. This is a fun little section of Scripture. Luke 13, we'll start in verse 1. Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him that him would be Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I think Jesus is addressing a particular mindset on this real quick. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys think you're a better driver than the average driver? Listen, I said we were being honest with each other this morning. Okay. How many of us think we're a better driver than the average driver on the road? Do you know that it, when asked in studies, 98% of all people asked say they are a better driver than everybody else on the road or the average driver? And here's what's really frightening. 40% of those asked were in car accidents that they caused. but still said they were better than those people out there. Well, of course I caused that accident. It wasn't my fault. There is a mindset that we take as humans that we, we apply in every scenario, okay? This is nothing new. 
that we think in our minds that we are superior to someone else. Whether it's driving, uh, and I'm just going to be upfront with you. If you go to a, a range with me and you miss the target, I'm going to make fun of you because I don't. We apply it to all aspects of our lives. And listen to the words of the master here, okay? He says, oh, wow, yeah, you told me about these guys that got killed. That's, that's a horrible thing. But I know why you're bringing that up. You're bringing it up because you're saying they deserved it because they're not as good as you. You think that tower that fell in Siloam and killed those 18 people? Yeah, that was just fate, right? That was straight up destiny. Or maybe we should use the K word, karma. That was karma. He says, I'm going to tell you right now, they weren't any better or worse than everybody living in Jerusalem. But we think, we get it in our heads, we get it in our minds that we are superior. And when bad things happen to other people, we, we often, I'm cutting a general garment, I don't think, obviously not us. Right? Thank you. When bad things happen to other people, what do we think? Well, they deserved it. So how do we handle it when tragedy comes on us? What happens then? What mindset do we take at that point? Oh, woe is me. It's not my fault. And Jesus is bringing a very powerful truth to the forefront as he's addressing this point, that mankind's attitude about themselves does not match God's expectations for mankind. Right, turn over here in your Bibles to, back to the reading in Psalm 14. Let's go back and read that one again. Because here's the reality, before I, before I read this, here's the reality that we deal with as part of the human condition, I guess we could call it, or whatever you want to say. But here's the reality. Sin and failure occur. But we need not to look at sin and failure through humans' eyes or human philosophy, but we need to be approaching this subject from the very truth that God presents, from God's expectations on it. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They've committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord's looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They've all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. The reason he can say that there is no one who does good is because we've got to be looking at things from God's view or through God's vision on this. That when God looks at us, I don't care how righteous you actually think you are in your self-perceived concepts, any righteousness that you think you put on, when God looks at you, do you know what he sees? Filthy rags. Isn't that how Isaiah puts it? We got to have God's vision on this. Because no one, no, well, sorry, only one who has lived has gone without violating God's expectations. And to think otherwise is to say we have no sin. And how does, how does John put that in 1 John, right? To say we have no sin makes God a liar. Now, that doesn't mean that God is lying. What we have done is we make God a liar to ourselves in our heart and to those that we're in contact with. We make him out to be a liar 
in that way. So to say that we have no sin turns God into a liar in our hearts and to those that we are coming into contact with. But also, to, it also says that since I have no sin, it's not my fault, I, ha I have no need for pardon. There's no, there's no reason for redemption at that point, right? If I'm innocent, truly innocent, there's no repercussions on that point. We understand that to be false. We understand what the reality is, right? And not only do we understand what the reality is, we understand what God expects of us as we're living in this world. Look at Romans, Romans chapter 3 real quick. It's not only what God expects, but that expectation that we need to have on ourselves as well, right? And I think this is the point Paul is making here in Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> Romans 3, we'll start in verse 19. Now that we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. <clears throat> Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate whose righteousness? Pay attention here, guys. This was to demonstrate... God's righteousness, not ours, to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So Paul is talking here. He says, listen, there is no distinction here. And understand that there's no distinction for those who believe which there isn't, right? Because that's what Paul is addressing. But that also means that the opposite is true. That there is no distinction for those who don't believe. You either is or you ain't. But Jeremy, you can't say that. That's too black and white. You're drawing a line in the sand. I didn't draw the line here, guys. God did. He's presenting humanity in a truthful, realistic view. And guys, when we, when, we, when we were first presented with this truth, when it was first brought to our attention and we listened to it and we acknowledged it as truth and we accepted it, we embraced it, did we not? That this became the core of our being. It's who we are in Jesus. My question for you this morning is this. Do you still? Do you still in your heart Acknowledge this about yourself. Or do we do the same thing that people did on September 8th, 1974, after Knievel's crash, and ask the question, how far did he make it? Because in reality, it didn't really matter how far he made it. He failed the job. 
When we ask questions like that, we begin minimizing reality to conform to our expectations. Admitting failure needs to be a constant in our lives when we fail. It needs to be something that people recognize about us as God's people. It needs to be something that when we make mistakes and when we sin, there's, there's no fear, there's no shame in repentance. Because we understand that we look at the world through God's view, not humans' view. And this is God's expectation for how he would have us live in the world. And I'm here to tell you guys, it will change the way you see the world if you adopt this. If you humble yourself and look at your fellow man through God's eyes, it will change the way you see them. It will change the way you see them. It will change the way you treat them. And thus you find yourself fulfilling the royal law to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. We do not view the world through the eyes of our own perceived superiority. We view the world through the humility that was taught in our Savior. <clears throat> Here's the deal. And we know this to be true. Because when it comes down to it, how many of us tried to jump a motorcycle? found that the trouble wasn't in the jump, but in the landing. And we fell short. We found ourselves twisted and mangled and broken, laying in the wreckage of our own poor decisions and sinful choices. And who was there to heal? Who was there to pick us up? Who was there to not just heal, but recreate us into something new and better? God was. And through his son, he healed us, did he not? Guys, we've experienced that. We know the truth of it. Have we also recognized that God in his mercy and his grace and his justice has enough faith in us that he says, you know what, you're going to be in this place at this time for the, this very reason. Because you're going to come into contact with broken people. And you're going to be the ambassador of my son to present healing. And you can do this because you've experienced it. You can be that because Jesus did it for you. Some of you are broken. I can't fix you much as I'd like to. The elders here can't fix you either as much as I think they would like to as well. But you know who can? Jesus. We're going to stand and sing a song that's been selected for the invitation. And let's use this as a moment of time and encouragement. You find yourself broken. There is healing in the Lord. Come to him. Make the confession of him as the son of God. Best decision you'll ever make in your life. But understand that when you make that decision and you have him wash your sins away in the waters of baptism and you're raised up and you're added to the kingdom, certain responsibilities are going to fall on your shoulders. And you're going to be expected to behave and act toward those that you come into contact with in the same way that our Lord treated you. It's a call worthy of taking. We encourage you to do so. If you're a member of the body here, 
I know that the elders love you. I've had conversations with, I think, 90% of them so far. I know they love you. I know they care for you, and I know that they want you to find the healing that is available in our Lord. But I'll tell you this, they can't read your mind, and so communication has to occur. If you find yourself hurting and need a prayer, counsel, whatever it is, we encourage you to come forward while we stand and sing and make it known. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. 